Ed, Nathan, I'm going to kick off today's show by taking you back to a cold November night in Bismarck, North Dakota. Okay. It's 1989. It looks like a pretty ordinary scene. About 100 people are packed inside a hotel banquet room. Everyone is listening intently to the guest speakers up front, an East Coast couple named Frank and Deborah Popper. But if you take a closer look at the crowd, they're upset, even hostile. Mm -hmm. That's because the Poppers are presenting a pretty provocative academic theory. You know, a lot of us here in North Dakota were offended to our very core. This is Lauren Donovan, a reporter for the Bismarck Tribune. She had a bad cold when we reached her, but was kind enough to talk to us anyway. Back in 1989, she was a young editor at a local North Dakota newspaper. That night, she sat on a panel assembled to refute the poppers and their offensive idea. When it was my turn to talk about Frank and Deborah Popper, I remember being pleased that I had been so clever to come up with the idea that, that their whole theory was poppercock. And I guess in that part of the country, them's fighting words. <laughs> and I remember looking over at Mr. Popper, and he absolutely flinched. And uh, I remember feeling like, ha. It was very emotional for me. And so uh, I wasn't interested in examining any merits of their theory. I was only interested in, in giving them a piece of my mind. So, Brian, I'm curious, what was making people in this room so angry? Ed, not just the people in this room. The Poppers were saying something that was deeply threatening to people across the Great Plains. And this story reflects a tension we hear a lot about these days. Data and the numbers do show a clear rural-urban divide. There is an urban-rural divide that we saw in this election. This urban-rural divide. Mm -hmm. You look at the divide, the big cities tend to go more for the Democrats and the rural areas more for the Republicans. That's an old division in American politics. Today on Backstory, we're going to look into the history of tensions between urban and rural people. If you listen to the news, these two parts of the population aren't even on speaking terms. They don't see eye to eye on politics or even basic facts. We'll hear how those disagreements go back to the country's very founding. We'll also show how rural voters have often had an outsized voice in American politics. And we'll dive into that story about the poppers nearly 30 years ago, the surprising outcome, and the lessons for today. Okay, so, so going back to that cold night in Bismarck, who were the poppers? Nathan, I'm going to let them introduce themselves. My name is Frank Popper. I'm a professor at Rutgers, and I'm here with my wife. And I'm Deborah Popper, and I am now Professor Emerita, and the two of us are also visiting professors at Princeton. Which we've been visiting for 15 years. <laughs> <laughs> back in the late 1980s, the New Jersey couple was looking at demographic data across the Great Plains. This is the arid, sparsely populated midsection of the country that spans about 500,000 square miles from North Dakota and Montana all the way down to Texas and New Mexico. At the time, the region was in an economic freefall. Family farms were going bankrupt. There was a severe drought and jobs were disappearing. 
The poppers pointed out that tens of thousands of residents, especially young people, were leaving the Great Plains. The region was basically emptying out. So were their numbers right? Was it becoming depopulated? Their numbers were right. The poppers could see that the Plains was actually in the middle of its third cycle of severe depopulation. The Great Plains has been losing population for, in fact, well over a century. So back in New Jersey, the poppers came up with a solution. And that's the Buffalo Commons. Sounds pretty benign, right? A little bit, yeah. Yeah. Well, the basic idea of the Buffalo Commons was this. Turn big chunks of the Great Plains, nearly a quarter of the region, into something like a nature reserve. One where native grasses and native species, including buffalo, would return and replace farms and ranches. The Buffalo Commons was more metaphor rather than this is what must happen. In essence, it's thinking about how you could live more lightly on the land. The Poppers laid out their vision in the December 1987 edition of Planning Magazine. I think you got yours early this year. Yeah, right? I'll only read it for the articles. <laughs> <laughs> you may be laughing now, but they gave their article a gloomy title. Great Plains from Dust to Dust. Here's Deborah reading. Most of the Great Plains will become what all of the United States once was, a vast landmass largely empty and unexploited. I, I expected the article to go, we expected the article, I think I can speak for Deborah here, to go off into the, the ether and never reappear again. We've all been there. <laughs> yes. Uh, some of us are there permanently, in fact. Uh, but to our great surprise, people read it. Politicians read it. And most importantly, people on the Great Plains read it. And those who didn't actually read it heard about the Popper's proposal. Angry letters to the editor poured into the magazine. Deborah and Frank soon started getting hostile phone calls. Saying we don't we know nothing. Uh, we've been called various ways. This is a quote. Socialite socialists. Where are you putting the fence? Would be another one. You know, so is my house which, Which side, side of the fence right. is my house on? A woman from Coldwater, Kansas, called me up, said she was from the local paper, and her first question was, how many of you are there in this conspiracy? <laughs> and, and where was the reporter you mentioned, Lauren Donovan, during all this? We were not, you know, at all excited about the idea that a pair of sociologists from East Coast had proposed that perhaps the best land use for North Dakota and the Great Plains at that time was to become a giant preserve for buffalo and other wildlife. Some people reacted to it as if we wanted to create a giant national park. Often they misinterpreted it. We, they thought, for example, we were calling for a forcible uh, expropriation scheme where everybody would be out by Tuesday. Which you did not call for. We, we didn't article. feel we called for it. Um, what does that mean, and, you didn't feel didn't, you called I mean, for it? There is this, maybe you could call it a sort of weasel line. If these trends continue, then what you've seen in the past is people leaving. If they keep leaving and they keep leaving and they keep leaving, then what happens rather than push them out? Which, as I look back, maybe we should have stressed more strongly. 
To be fair, the Poppers did write that the Buffalo Commons would become the ultimate national park. That had a sting. And that's not really crazy when you think about it. In the 1930s, the Shenandoah National Park was created by driving away several hundred families that had lived there for a long time. And let's don't forget, too, that the Great Plains themselves had been freed for white settlement by the dispossession of Native Americans. Yeah, they certainly felt they had some basis to be concerned. Which makes what happened next even more surprising. The Poppers began getting invitations to come visit and speak. From all sorts of groups. Journalists, farming groups. So this is in the plains. This in the plains. In the plains. Yeah. So they just went out there? That's right. You might ask why. Well, to be frank, they were amazed that anybody took their writing seriously. I personally was delighted to see some academic work actually getting a real-life yes. practical response from real people. There would be the kind of ongoing public dialogue that schools of public policy are supposed to lead to and stimulate and so on. Over the next few years, the Poppers made dozens of trips to the region. They traveled to all 10 Great Plains states. Each visit followed a standard script. The couple would show up at a high school auditorium or hotel conference room. They'd take their seats in the front of the room and explain the Buffalo Commons theory. It all sounds pretty tame, I guess. Not exactly. It's going on a stage, and, and, and we really were on a stage, and talking to people that you know have many doubts about you. Local officials and journalists would challenge them. Then it was the audience's turn. Residents who, in some cases, will come up and tell you, because they're lovely people, I drove 300 miles to hear you, and you're still full of nonsense. <laughs> no, we, and we, is we, nonsense we, the word they used? Uh, sometimes they were stronger. I remember a specific incident um, of a farmer coming up to Frank with some wheat in his hands and saying, do you know what this is? Do you even know what this is? And, you know, a, a person who was clearly had put his life into growing wheat. And, and indeed, I appreciate that. But how can you talk about my community in this way um, when I am, am growing this for you? Sometimes a couple even had to be escorted by local officials. I would say that a tremendous number of our appearances, there was definitely security, you know, local security provided um, because the hosts would be a bit nervous about what was, you know, how the audience was going to respond. Lauren Donovan says the locals didn't just resent what the poppers were saying. They also resented the poppers' attitude, as if these professors from New Jersey knew what was best. There was this, this giant gap, reality gap, between the kind of people we are and the kind of people they are. And what kind of people are they? Well, they're, you know, they're East Coast academics. It, you know, from the North Dakota perspective, it's not like we don't respect academics, but on the other hand, that academic theory just seems so removed from the manure in the bottom of a cattle truck <laughs> or, or the. I don't know. I've had a lot of people call my academic theories uh, yeah. manure in the bottom of a cattle truck. Yes. Well, you, well, maybe that was a pretty good, um, 
pretty good description there, but I mean, it was just, it, it's just, you know, you can hardly even put them on the same page. But at the bottom of all of these exchanges was something more primal. It was fear. Local residents believe that these two East Coast academics, believe it or not, actually had the power to evict people from their land. Aren't they kind of overreacting? I mean, just, just a little bit? If you were a North Dakotan, you would understand, first of all, we are sort of embarrassed about our standing in the country, especially 30 years ago. Our self-respect meter was not all that high. You know, we were out here in the middle of nowhere and kind of that big flyover country. Donovan was raised in a small prairie town in North Dakota called Mott. And if you uh, look it up on the map, it says Mott, the spot that God forgot. <laughs> but we always thought it was more apt to say There is a bit of that, an inferiority complex yeah, there, well, Lauren. That's exactly the word I've been searching for. Thank you. But we like to say it's Mott, the spot where the girls are hot. But, <laughs> and the boys are not. She grew up in a large family on their grandparents' homestead. And I grew up in a family of 12 children in a small town that flourished, you know, as much as a, as a prairie town can, can flourish. And at, at the peak of our little town's history, we had 1,500 people who lived there. Every one of her siblings moved away. She's the only one who stayed in North Dakota. My little hometown now continues to diminish every year, and so right now there's probably less than 700 people. And that, she says, is why the poppers made people so angry. Because of the possibility that what they were proposing really would be the end of our story. I mean, I think that there was, in those years, a bad drought, struggling agriculture, a population that continued to falter, small towns that were emptying out. We were, we were closing schools. We were, um, you know, churches. <laughs> you name it, we were closing it in North Dakota. And so it wasn't like, it wasn't like this didn't have that ring of possibility. So it's the very fact that they were right about a lot of the demographic trends that made the proposed solution such a threat. Right. I think that's exactly right, that they, they nailed what was happening to us uh, quite accurately. But this is land that we owned. This is land that we, that we nourished, we farmed, we ranched. And sure, it might be getting emptier by the minute, but, but it was our home. There's one more aspect of the Popper's proposal that really rubbed people the wrong way. In your article, you said that the settlement of the Plains was, quote, the greatest agricultural and environmental mistake in American history, end quote. Is that something that you regret saying? No. No. You don't think that was the problem? I don't think that, well, yeah, it was a problem, but I was, I, and we were prepared to defend it, and I'd stick with that today. Well, you know, uh, there's some truth to that, and some of the truth is in the farming practices that that have proven to be uh, not the best practices for the Great Plains, but we felt like survivors in a way. How could we feel then that all of us were a mistake? I've got to say, and this is something I've only realized recently, if the roles were reversed, I'd be against us. 
Why? Because those people were standing up for something strong and patriotic and American, and they saw it that way, and they saw us as just the opposite. I don't know if I can let that stand. I, I can't let that stand because, I, you know, I, I, I'm standing tall for my part of the country where it's okay that my ancestors made mistakes. They did make mistakes, and I'm allowed to say it. Um, I'm allowed to have them tell me to be quiet. But, you know, you, you, you say what you see and what you think, and that's all right, and that's patriotic. <laughs> Thirty years have passed since the Poppers published their controversial article. Since then, a few areas in the Great Plains have actually bounced back. North Dakota, for example, has experienced an oil boom. But for the most part, the Great Plains has continued to lose population. I asked the Poppers what, if anything, they learned from the whole exchange. We were a way to get a conversation that the community needed. And yet there was both a hesitancy to to talk about the things and also lots of disagreements. Everybody has their own idea of what needed to be done or who was at fault. And so whenever they would bring us in, there was one thing they knew people could agree upon. They didn't like us. We were a public service of a certain perverse kind. We could mobilize people against us. (laughs) They could agree. We had it wrong. Let's go find it right. And guess what? Lauren Donovan agrees. We have to thank them when we look back for holding up a mirror. It wasn't like we were seeing somebody we didn't recognize, but but we we needed to take a good hard look, and they helped. But here's the real surprise. Local environmentalists and conservationists have started to embrace the Buffalo Commons as a viable idea. They're creating smaller versions of the commons throughout the plains, and Native American tribes are working hard to restore buffalo herds. So it sounds as if this scholarship did what scholarship is supposed to do. It sort of advanced the conversation with some clearer understandings. Or got a couple of professors in trouble. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I don't think that the scholarship ever was intended to shed light on the huge gaps in perception between urban types and rural types. But I actually think that it did more to enhance both sides' understanding of people who were quite different than themselves. Lauren Donovan wishes she'd been less suspicious of the poppers back then. She even called Frank and Deborah Popper a few years ago and said, I am really sorry that I was such a, you know, immature uh, twit. You know, when I, I go back and look at what we wrote, we were young and dumb. And they brought us in to teach us something. We kept going because we kept meeting interesting people and learning and learning and learning and being part of a discussion that mattered to people. It must have been very interesting for Frank and Deborah Popper to, you know, come out from behind the the numbers and the data and meet us. But they were brave, and they came out, and they spoke with us, and I admire them very much. Thanks to Frank and Deborah Popper for sharing their story. 
Frank is a professor at Rutgers University. Deborah is Professor Emerita at the College of Staten Island, City University of New York. Thanks also to Lauren Donovan. She's a reporter for the Bismarck Tribune. <laughs>